Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. In this podcast, hosted by Anthony Wilhelms of Nicolay Wealth Management, we bring you the latest news on investment management, financial planning, and the economy. On this episode, you'll hear Adam Longley and Mike Steppe give an update on recent volatility in the markets, increasing interest rates, inflation versus deflation, and lots more. Mike, Adam, thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, as always, Anthony Wilhelms, and we're excited to jump into another episode of our podcast talking about investments and the economy coming to you from Nicolay Wealth Management. Mike Steppe and Adam Longley are both uh, lead our investment committee, CFA charter holders and senior vice presidents at the bank. Uh, and we have a lot of interesting things to dig into today. Mike, can you kick us off with an update on what is happening in the economy? Okay, we're seeing a lot of volatility in the market today because the market's looking for an equilibrium sort of level that reflects the new risks that we're seeing. Inflation's higher. We've got higher interest rates because of Fed policy. And we've got a more modest level of earnings growth due to cost pressures and higher wages. When you step back from sort of these immediate concerns, what you see is you see an economy that's weakening, but one where there's still a a decent chance that we're gonna have a soft landing. That's probably the highest probability scenario as you look at it. There's a concern though in that, that the Fed could push interest rates up to a level that it tipped the economy into a recession. So if that happens, um, you know, um, econ- it'll be more economic weakness. And so you've got these differing uh, views out there and that creates all the volatility that we're seeing. So that's gonna play out over the, over the next three to four months. So it's an interesting time in the financial markets as people look at this and try to decide what's the implication of what everybody sees what the Fed is doing in terms of pushing interest rates up. We're likely to get a Fed re, um, increase of, of 50 basis points at the June 15th meeting, and then another increase at the July 27th meeting. So we sort of can see that coming. And But what's the implications of that? And is that is the higher short-term interest rates Is that going to slow economic activity? That's the open question. And that's what everybody's looking at. And that's why we've got so much volatility in the markets. Thanks. I appreciate the update. And I always like the analogies we have in finance. One of them is soft landing. Mike, could you explain what your take is on what does a soft landing mean? Sure. We're we're coming into a period here where we've had above average growth. Um, if you look back to last summer uh, in July, we were probably running three and a half to four percent GDP growth. We're now down to right now two and a half percent. And so as the Fed pushes up interest rates, they recognize, hey, that is going to slow economic activity. There are going to be some ventures that businesses were thinking about, hey, this will work at a lower uh, borrowing cost level that now aren't going to work. And so that that will slow economic activity. A soft landing would be that economic activity stays in sort of the 1%, maybe the 2% sort of range, and it slowly, slowly glides down to there. And we don't tip into a recession. A recession is you have negative economic growth. So that that would be the alternative. 
So one more question on this topic about why we would want slower growth. It seems to me in most businesses, everything, everybody's trying to hit four or five, six, 10, 15% growth. Why would the Fed intervene to try to slow growth to one or two, maybe 3%? Well, they're doing it because they see the higher inflation. And um, we, we all sort of recognize that it's a combination of uh, raw material costs, higher wages, all these various things that are contributing to a higher level of inflation. And we don't want that to spiral out of control. If that gets built into people's expectations, that's a longer term negative and problematic for the economy. So you want to sort of moderate inflation. You want to sort of moderate economic activity to slow the pressures on inflation and get inflation back closer to the 2% target that the Fed has long-term held. Perfect. Well, I have more questions about the topic for you, Mike, but we better give Adam a, t a chance to jump in and give us an update on what's happening in equity markets. Yeah, we had a lot of volatility in the month of May, but if you look at the S&P 500, it was uh, surprisingly, it was basically unchanged. We started the month at 400 or 4,132, and that's, that's pretty much exactly where we ended the month. But at one point, I think it was from the, the 4th to the 19th, you had the market fell almost 10%. Um, and it was really, it wasn't until the final week of the month that we had that 6% rally that really saved the month as far as performance goes. So I think what happened was the market grew early in the month, very concerned about inflation, being out of control and running so high. Then as the month went on, we began to see um, some signs that inflation was peaking or, or maybe decelerating a little bit. Uh, you also saw longer term market expectations for inflation. They started to come down a little bit as well. So year to date now, the S&P 500 is down about 12%. It's quite a bit better than, than at its worst. It was down around 18%. Value stocks continue to massively outperform growth stocks. Value is down less than 4% this year. Well, growth is down over 20, which is you know firmly in bear market territory. Uh, looking at the different S&P 500 sectors is also interesting. Uh, energy stocks are up over 60% year to date. Utilities are up six. And then all the other sectors are negative with technology stocks and consumer discretionary spending stocks down the most at about minus 20. And then developed international stocks are down around 11%, which is very close to the S&P 500. And then emerging markets uh, equity down about 15%. And that largely reflects the challenges with Russia, Ukraine, and, and lockdowns in China as well. That's, uh, I, I love the perspective on where things are are down over 20% on growth, up over 60% on energy. Um, naturally, Adam, it makes me think, is there some mean reversion ahead where those stocks kind of converge back to their normal trends? Or do you think this is going to persist? Um, I, th I think in the, in the near term, it will persist. Um, you know, valuation is rarely a catalyst. You need some, some fundamentals. Um, in the energy in the fundamentals in the energy sector remain very strong and, and tech uh, remains challenging. And energy is still significantly less expensive than technology, even after the, the run. 
Well, you made a point in there that valuation is rarely a catalyst, um, but also over time, buying things at better valuations uh, tends to be a, a good indicator of positive returns. How does that cycle work and how as a as an investment group or investment committee, do we consider valuations when we're positioning our portfolios? Yeah, that, that's a good question. You know, when, when things are cheap, um, there's no reason why they can't get cheaper or even stay cheap for a very long time. And that's why, I mean, that's when we say valuation isn't, isn't the catalyst by itself. Um, so we, we, we try to balance it. We look at the individual companies. Um, we try to find um, uh, industry tailwinds um, that they'll benefit from, as well as company-specific factors. So is there something that that company or that industry is doing that will get the attention or maybe is underappreciated by the market? And, and can we take advantage of that, that tailwind? Good, That's, I appreciate that. It's, Mike, I want to come back to you on the inflation conversation, but the other side of it, obviously the Fed, you mentioned wanting to combat inflation by slowing growth. Is there any fear that we fall into deflation? And maybe if you can also address the idea, the role that technology plays in affecting both inflation and deflation. Sure. Long term, the bigger risk is deflation. And we have, you know, uh, all the technology and historically the globalization that we had were all factors that, that provided a level of deflation. So prices coming down, companies looking every day to find innovative ways to cut their prices. That, that's become sort of what, what companies do and they've gotten really good at it. So there is a long-term sort of fear about that. And you know it's, it's something to be aware of. Right now with inflation being uh, uh, high, it's not an immediate concern because right now the, the pricing pressures are on the other side. We're seeing increasing pricing pressures. And what you're trying to do is get those down closer to the two to 3% from the almost double digit rates that we've been experiencing. So I think the immediate concern is inflation, not deflation, but longer term, that is an issue to be aware of. So humor me with, um why lower prices would be uh, a bad thing as a as a layperson when I think of being able to like deflation happening meaning I can buy more with my dollars like gas prices going down that sounds like a good thing to me why does the Fed worry about that or why do you say that that's the bigger concern well it is a it is a good thing uh, as a consumer the problem is that at some point companies have to lay people off to be able to drive their costs down further and further. And so having no jobs is not a positive thing. And so that's what it, what it creates is sort of this turbulence behind it, where yes, you get into that cycle and you export all those jobs, then you don't have a consumer, consumers two thirds of economic activity. Yet you have to have a strong consumer to be able to buy things. And so you wanna maintain that that strengthen your consumer sector. Sure, I appreciate the explanation. I imagine when things are always going to be cheaper in the future in a deflationary environment too, the consumer is less inclined to spend if they assume that a month later or six months later, everything will be less expensive versus the 
world we've been living in for the last few years where you look and say, well, I should buy it now because it will be more expensive a year from now. Is that fair? Yeah, I, th I think right now we've got a good example of people thinking about what prices are going to be in the future in the new car market. I think there's a lot of people that are sort of at the point where they'd like to buy a new car, but they sort of recognize, hey, there are no cars on the lots. And so in that kind of a world, well, maybe I'll wait a little bit longer uh, and postpone that purchase for a better time. Still, some people buying new cars, but, you know, it's um, there. I, my guess is you'd see more if there was more availability of cars and dealers were discounting the prices. That's great. Appreciate that. Adam, I'll come back to you with a question related to catalysts and, and technology or, or growth stocks. Um, if valuation isn't going to be the catalyst to, um, we'll say, get things moving again with growth, stock, growth stocks, what might drive the technology sector or growth stocks in the future? Um, I think it'll be company-specific um, innovation. So there will be um, technology stocks that are, whether they're disrupting old ways of doing things or gaining market share, there'll be, you know, these opportunities that people, investors will want to participate in, uh, but it'll be very much company specific um, as well as, you know, some of these companies, regardless of what industry they're in, uh, these technology companies are just fantastic companies with, with really high return on invested capital, well-managed, they generate a lot of cash, they have um, above market dividend yields. So just as a standalone, they're, they're attractive. Um, and I, I think people will at some point be drawn to them. Yeah, it's hard to replace technology. Another question for you, and we're looking at value performing pretty well lately, but uh, international, specifically Europe, not performing terribly well. And the European markets are much more value heavy than our domestic markets, at least by my information. Can you comment on what is causing, obviously there's the, the war um, with Russia and Ukraine having some pressure on that market, but are there opportunities in Europe and what's causing that not uh, uh, the underperformance relatively of the value stocks there? Um, I, I think it's just a heightened level of risk, whether it's, you know, the Russia and Ukraine war has obviously caused inflation in the U.S., but it's caused even more inflation in Europe. So it's uh, even more of a risk over there. As well as, you know, we take in, in the U.S., we take our ability to access affordable energy for granted, perhaps. Um, so the uncertainty over energy over there as well, you know, factories having to shut down because they don't have access to power. Um, so I think the market is just discounting a heightened level of risk over there. And I, I think um, timing wise, that will persist. That's, I appreciate that perspective. And a little, it's good to know the guidance to the positioning that it, it may persist. Mike, I want to come back to you with something you, you told me earlier that fixed income is looking exciting. I have a tough time saying that with a straight face that fixed income anytime in my career has looked terribly exciting. But what is getting you excited in fixed income right now? Well, we've gone from rates being artificially low. The Fed pulled rates down to incredibly low levels. And now the mar it's going back to market pricing. 
So the market is determining the prices uh, and the Fed is not the big buyer in the market. It's individual investors buying and selling. And um, that to me is, is more, a lot more attractive in terms of what, you know, yield levels are higher because of that. So I like higher yields as I think most investors do. So that's the reason for the excitement that we've got. All right. Well, can you speak to it from a borrower uh, perspective? Obviously, we've seen as consumers what has happened in the mortgage market as the Fed has started to exit that market. Can you comment on what the Fed is doing and what you expect to happen with rates in a few of those sectors? Sure. In the mortgage market specifically, you've seen a really noticeable jump. So when, when you think about um, mortgage rates, they've gone up more than treasury rates. And, and there's, there's two reasons for that. One is that as rates have gone up, the expectations that people have for prepayments slow. So you're going to get when, when rates are higher and uh, you're just going to see people be slower to make uh, early payments on those mortgages. So that slows down. That extends out the duration on the mortgage. So that's number one. The second, the Fed um, has gone from buying over the last couple of years, they, they've bought a third of all conventional mortgages. And so they were the biggest buyer in the market and now they've gone to a seller. So you see treasury, 10 year treasury rates go up um, you know, 140 basis points and you see mortgage rates go up 200 basis points. So mortgage rates have gone up further than treasury rates because of that. So we go, we go, when the Fed makes these interventions in the market, there are winners and losers. And when you think about that, CD holders, when the Fed brought rates down to incredibly low levels, CD holders just got crushed. The, the yield levels in the market were unusually low. And so for somebody who was trying to live on a fixed income, they really felt the pressure. The people who won on the borrowing side were people who wanted to take out and, and borrow money and they got incredibly cheap rates, especially for longer term loans. They could lock into 10 year, 30 year loans at really low rates. So they won in this. And so now those roles are reversing. Uh, mortgage, mortgage rates are higher, um, so they're losing and um, CD rates will go up with this. They're sort of slow because short-term rates, the, the market is expecting short-term rates to go up. They will likely go up, uh, but overnight rates are still relatively low. And so CD rates haven't gone up yet, but I would expect by, by the middle of summer, they will be moving up. Well, uh, that will be an exciting thing to see interest rates uh, paying some type of income. And I, I think we'll all be excited if there's a day when an interest rate on a bond exceeds the assumed inflation rate. That will be a, a, a neat thing. Then I'll be excited about fixed income with you, Mike. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> Adam, I want to come to you with a question about natural resources. We talked about oil indirectly, but and value or returns in, in the energy sector. But can you expand that to natural resources more broadly and tell us what you're seeing in that market and if you see any opportunities. Sure. And I think we should start by defining natural resources as more than just oil and gas. It, it also includes agriculture, uh, precious metals, industrial metals as well. 
So natural resource stocks, um, they've actually been the best performing asset class over the last two years, but they still have pretty uh, attractive uh, valuations. It's interesting to think about, take the last 15 years, the world's consumption of uh, major commodities has increased by about 40%, yet the money we spend today finding and harvesting these commodities is actually lower than it was 15 years ago. And you have to remember that this is a unique industry in which you have to spend more over time to get less, meaning the marginal cost of supply goes up as we move to less attractive and more expensive assets over time. So in other words, the industry has had a massive amount of underinvestment and this underinvestment should support commodity prices. But for natural resource stocks um, to generate attractive returns, I don't think you need commodities uh, to keep going up. So, because over the last 20 years, commodity prices are up 500%. I think even in a flat pricing commodity world, um, these stocks can still do well. Um, you know, today, natural resources, it's still, as a group, still trades at a 60% discount to the overall market. Uh, many of these companies generate so much cash that they could repay all their debts. They could buy back all their shares and essentially go private in a couple of years. But instead, what's more likely and what we're seeing is outsized 4% dividend yields plus additional special dividends, um, especially uh, with some of the international companies. And I think when you put all that together, that's uh, an attractive total return, especially relative to the rest of the market. That's a really interesting to hear in those higher, uh, higher dividend yields are really appealing. Would you mention the relationship between interest rates, dividend yields, and then valuations? And I think you can probably explain to the audience about why that's affecting the return uh, over the, throughout the year for growth versus value. Sure, it, it, it serves as a discounting mechanism. So the value of the stock today is the present value of all of its future cash flows. And so um, value stocks, which tend to pay larger dividends, you're getting more of that value of, uh, sooner. So they're less sensitive to interest rates, especially interest rates going higher versus a growth stock, which a lot of the value is in the, the, the growth potential of the company and not the dividends called the terminal value. So it has a greater um, impact when interest rates go up. And, and, and so when you see, they're also called long duration assets for that reason. So when interest rates go up, you tend to see uh, growth stocks go down, especially compared to value stocks. Perfect. I appreciate that. I always learn something from both of you guys. So I appreciate you taking time to join me today. Uh, and to our audience, thank you all for, uh, for joining us. We're always available to you. You can contact any of us with email. It's just our first initial last name at nicolaywealth.com. You can contact anybody at the bank. If you have questions, they'll get you over to somebody on our team. Uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Adam and Mike for some parting thoughts. Adam, lead the way. Sure. Uh, market sentiment, people's opinion on the equity market today is, is, is pretty bearish, pretty low. I think if you look down a couple of months, there's a couple of things to be mindful of and, and I think could be viewed as positives. We'll get through second quarter earnings here, which will be um, tough. Uh, rate hikes, instead of raising by 50 basis points, we 
think they'll decelerate to 25. I think that'll feel good. And we'll be at a point where you can probably point to inflation and say it's clearly slowing down from previous peak levels. And I think that uh, will be a very positive as well. Well, I like this ending with some good news, Mike. Now you're up for, uh, for more good news for us, hopefully. Well, I think what we're seeing in fixed income markets will, will feel pretty good because rates are attractive. You can buy a municipal bond at, an, at better than 3% taxable equivalent yields. And I think that's a, a good base that we haven't seen for a number of years. So people who want a lower risk part of their portfolio that's consistent, can now do that where you, there, you, that wasn't much of an option the last couple of years. So I think um, that part will be attractive for people. All right, well, thank you both. And thanks to everybody for joining us. We'll talk to you all again soon. Mm-hmm.